Welcome to Invention, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Invention. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh, when are people going to be listening to this? Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet, right? So you're not no. heating up leftovers for a week. Heating up leftovers, Joe? No, I'm hoping that people will be inspired by this look at the microwave and they will cook their entire turkey in there. That is a horrible idea. I, Don't do it. <laughs> I was just looking it up and there you can find some uh, uh, semi-convincing uh, recipes online for how to cook your entire Thanksgiving turkey in a microwave oven. In a dirty microwave with splatter stains no, all over no, the place. No, no, a nice clean microwave for, a, for just a wonderful Thanksgiving. Does Butterball sell a turkey that comes with its own Hot Pocket style sleeve to crisp <laughs> up the exterior? I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, yes, we're going to be talking about the microwave oven here uh, on Invention. And the whole reason that we're launching this in uh, November is because, yeah, this is a, a month that is typically associated with food and feasts. And so we've been looking at some food-based innovations. And really, the microwave is, is one of the big ones uh, in, in terms of inventions that have come along uh, in the, you know, the last hundred years and have just changed the way that we think about the household kitchen. Totally. Uh, now, Robert, you mentioned there are many common mishaps that happen with the microwave. And and one of the ones I identify with the most is forgetting that I can't just put a stick of butter in the microwave in a container to mm-hmm. melt the butter. This happens about once a year where I need – like suddenly I'm making pancakes for house guests or something, uh, something I don't do very often. I'm like, I'll just melt the butter in the microwave. I think maybe it's happened for the last time because I'm talking about it out loud now. But every time it explodes inside <laughs> the microwave and i got to clean up butter everywhere for 10 minutes or however long. Yeah, the stick of butter explosion is uh, is, is something that's very hard to miss. Uh, you know the sound when you hear it, and then you think, oh, crap, I, I did it again. Uh, I'm, I've, I have a pretty good system for the times I need to have melted butter for making pancakes or pop popovers or something. And I'll, I'll take the butter, and then I'll slice it up into smaller pieces, and then I'll microwave those small pieces of butter in a bowl with a cover for, uh, you know, 10, 15 seconds, something like that. And mm-hmm. if they need more, I'll give them another blast. But sometimes I get a little cocky and I either forget to cover it or I don't cut it up as much or I give it a little too much time. And then once more, an explosion, everything is covered in butter. And of course, there are some other mishaps that occur from time to time. We've all attempted to reheat some leftovers or cook a microwave meal and Part of it will be super hot and part of it will be almost ice cold. Uh, Also, uh, gold leaf, uh, say, on your grandmother's fine china will turn blue uh, in the microwave oven. And then, of course, we've all either uh, burnt popcorn or cremated a fish stick or something like that uh, while attempting to heat something up in the microwave. Generally, this is user error. (laughs) But but I think the the big take-home here is that these are the times when the microwave oven disappoints us and Mm. we, we take a few moments to gripe about our microwave oven. But for the most part, the microwave oven works exceedingly well at the things that it's good at. Yeah. It works so well that it is just a part, it's a part of our kitchen, something we just completely take for granted, uh, being able to reheat foods that uh, we cooked the night before, to cook uh, microwave dinners, or certainly, you know, if you're making pancakes or whatnot and you're not getting too cocky with your butter, a way to heat something that is going to be utilized in a recipe for something else that may involve your conventional or, your, you know, your gas oven, et cetera. 
Right. Uh, I am uh, – I cook a lot in the house and sometimes I can be kind of snobby about the way certain foods are prepared. So you might think, well, then you don't use the microwave much. But no, I use the microwave all the time. And there's tons of stuff that it's perfectly good for. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend cooking your Thanksgiving turkey <laughs> in the microwave. It's uh, it's probably not going to work out very well. The outside is not going to look very appetizing. It will end up extremely dry and you're not going to get very much browning or whatever on the skin. It has to do with the way the microwave cooks things. That It's not good for stuff like that. It's not good for like big meat roasts and stuff. But for say uh, thawing out frozen liquid-based things, you know, you've got frozen stock or soup or mm-hmm. something like that. It's fantastic. Right. Uh, certainly popcorn is a great example. Yeah. You need to cook some microwave popcorn. There's no better way. Uh, heat up a little water, etc. Now, when it comes to heating up water, though, there, there's another thing where there can be dangers associated with uh, with the way that it heats up food. Like uh, in certain water containers, you can sometimes get the splash up, you know, the rapid boil when you dip a spoon into water that you've heated up in the microwave. Mm-hmm. If there are no nucleation points in the water as it heats up for bubbles to form, so it can mm-hmm. get kind of superheated w- but without boiling. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a, a little thing. You might have often seen people like putting a little coffee stirrer or stick or something, some kind of non-metal spoon into water as they heat it up. And that's just to help create nucleation points for bubbles to form so that the water can boil properly while it's being heated. Interesting. So we're going to take our typical approach here to an invention. In this case, it's the invention of the microwave oven. Before we can really appreciate what the microwave oven changes, we have to talk about what came before. And, uh, you know, given that this is a 20th century invention, a lot came before. Right. Uh, Everything else in uh, human culinary history came before. And obviously that means many different forms of oven came first. Earth ovens, ceramic ovens, gas ovens, masonry ovens, toaster ovens, steam ovens, convection ovens, rotary ovens. At heart, an oven of any sort is just simply, quote, a chamber used for baking, heating, or drying. That's your just standard Webster's uh, definition there. And most of these utilize fire or an electric heating element, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, something that will heat the chamber and therefore heat the food. Connecting to a recent episode, I wonder if anybody ever made a setup where you had a turnspit dog to rotate the plate inside the microwave as it goes around. <laughs> well, you got to rotate that plate one way or another. Uh, but the microwave oven, the main way it's different, uh, you know, regardless uh, of how neat that little rotating um, uh, tray happens to be, the main reason it's different is because it heats food by exposing the food to electromagnetic radiation in the microwave frequency range. That's right. Uh, now, we're going to be talking a good bit in the, these microwave episodes about anti-microwave panic, you know, the, the terror some people feel at the idea of a, a microwave irradiating their food like it's a nuclear test site in your kitchen. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't let the word radiation there contribute to this kind of anti-microwave panic. Uh, most radiation, of course, is harmless to you. The light coming out of your desk lamp is radiation. And so in this vein, to further demystify the magic of the the microwave cooking box, I think it might be worth a very quick detour to explain uh, a bit of the underlying physics here as simply as possible. So electromagnetic radiation is the same type of radiation as radio waves, infrared, invisible light, UV radiation, X-rays and gamma rays. It's all the same stuff. It's all photons. What varies to make the difference between all of these is the frequency, meaning how fast the waves cycle or oscillate, which can also be expressed. The same thing can be expressed in terms of wavelength. Faster oscillating waves are shorter. Slower oscillating waves are longer. 
And despite the name, microwaves are actually relatively long, low-frequency waves. They're called microwaves because their wavelength is short compared to radio waves, but the microwaves are long compared to pretty much everything else. And even that appellation sort of uh, – it, it helps place them in a historical context, right? Because when you, when you see microwave consciousness emerging among physicists, it's sort of like as another part of what is generally thought of as the radio frequency. Mm. Now, the really dangerous types of radiation we think of, like X-rays and gamma rays, the kinds that cause cancer and radiation poisoning and such, these have much shorter wavelengths and faster oscillations – uh, electromagnetic radiation in the microwave range actually has a lower frequency than visible light that we see with our eyes. Uh, microwaves are defined as electromagnetic waves at a frequency greater than 300 megahertz, which is 300 million waves per second, and less than 300 gigahertz, which is 300 billion waves per second. Uh, and this equates to wavelengths between about one meter and one millimeter. So when you're trying to picture in, in microwaves, of course, they're invisible. But you can think of them as waves that are basically on the human scale. You could measure them with a ruler or a tape measure. Yeah, I've frequently seen them uh, described as being about the length of a, of a toothbrush. That's certainly within there, yeah, between the meter and millimeter mm -hmm. scale. I mean, almost everything that's understand uh, that not understandable but everything that's you know reasonable to measure with your arms or hands is sort of in the microwave scale so how does a microwave oven generate microwaves well it's through the use of this all-important electrical device called a magnetron. Really, the main thing that operates your microwave oven is a little device that you can hold in your hand. I'm not going to try to go into super deep detail about everything, about all the inner workings of the magnetron. It's especially hard to do without visual aids, but I'll try to give you the simple version. So a magnetron is a device for turning electric current, like you get out of the wall socket, into microwave radiation. And it consists of a vacuum tube made out of a metal, often something like copper, with a conductive filament in the middle of that tube. And then you'll have large permanent magnets, usually donut-shaped, on each end of the tube. And as voltage is applied to the filament that runs through the middle of this vacuum tube, the filament uh, – uh, the current's running through it and it gets incredibly hot. And then electrons start to fly off of this negatively charged hot filament toward the walls of the positively charged tube. And there's – so there's an electric field in the vacuum in between this filament in the middle of the tube and the walls of the tube. But the magnets at each end of the tube help shape that flow of electrons through that vacuum in something kind of like a spiral or pinwheel shape. And then meanwhile, the metal inner surface of the tube contains little pockets or cavities. And it's these cavities that are so important in creating the microwaves. The spiraling flow of electrons from the uh, – through the vacuum tube rapidly passes over the mouths of those cavities and it results in vibration of electrons that creates the electromagnetic radiation in the microwave spectrum. Uh, so this is how the waves are created. They're, they're emitted by these electrons as they're like changing energy states. Uh, these microwaves are projected off the end of an antenna and guided into the metal-lined inner cage of the oven where they reflect around. They bounce around inside this and they heat the food up. So we've got electromagnetic waves bouncing around, uh, but how does that actually cook the food? The answer is that 
almost all foods contain polar molecules, primarily water molecules. And what that means is that H2O is slightly positively charged at one end and slightly negatively charged at the other end. And so as these microwaves pass by these water molecules, these polar molecules, the molecules try to rotate to align their poles with the direction of the electric field produced by each wave. But being waves, of course, they are rapidly oscillating the direction of that field back and forth. At 2.4 gigahertz, these microwaves pass by billions of times per second. And so the rapid rotating back and forth of the water molecules sort of jostles them all around. As they they get jostled around trying to align themselves with this rapidly uh, alternating field, this manifests as heat. Rapid vibration of molecules, of course, is heat. Now, we should note that some varieties of microwave oven may introduce additional heating sources. But what we're talking about here is the standard microwave oven. Are, are there like microwaves that have fires inside? That would be great. Um, well, there are microwaves that, uh, that basically involve a heating element in okay. addition, yeah. Uh, but, but, but this is the standard. No gas, no heating element, no fire, just invisible waves agitating water molecules, causing them to vibrate rapidly, producing heat. Uh, and this is why most containers don't, uh, you know, microwave-safe containers don't heat up. Uh, at least uh, you know, they don't heat up due to the microwave itself. The food itself may heat up the dish, mm-hmm. etc. But the oven does this rapidly. The oven also does this without requiring any sort of preheating, and it's not going to warm up your kitchen on a hot day, uh, or at least not like a 450-degree oven will. I mean, it, you know, it's a basic electronic device right. will heat your room a little bit. Right. I mean, a standard oven, you, you got to think about this, has to work by heating up the air inside mm-hmm. it. In a microwave, that doesn't matter. In fact, the air inside a microwave doesn't even get hot except in whatever way it's like exposed to steam and stuff. Right. And uh, and uh, also, we'll come back to this uh, again. You already touched on it a little bit. But the cooking chamber itself is surrounded by something like a Faraday cage to prevent the microwaves from escaping. They're bouncing around in there. They can't get out. Uh, even the viewing panel uh, as everyone's probably noticed, is covered with a mesh that allows light to pass through but not the microwaves. Yeah, and that's very important. So you can look through because visible light is small enough of a wavelength to penetrate that mesh, but the microwaves are too long to penetrate the mesh. They're stuck inside. Now, there might be in modern microwaves uh, a tiny amount of microwave leakage. This is a thing that's been con- – we'll talk about this more probably in the next episode. Uh, but th- there have been concerns throughout the history of microwave design about how much uh, microwaves can leak out of the oven. Modern microwaves are generally very safe. They keep it mm-hmm. almost entirely contained. That which leaks out is not enough to cook do you. much. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the microwave oven in a nutshell. The next step is going to be for us to look at the inventor of the microwave oven. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Audible keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. You'll finish more stories when you listen with Audible and always be part of the conversation. With the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Mobile, Alexa-enabled, Bluetooth, and more. Listen at the gym, while shopping, in the car, while traveling. Anytime you can't read, you can listen with Audible. 
And Audible members get more than ever before. That's right. Every month you can choose one audiobook regardless of price, as well as two Audible originals from a fresh selection. Members stay motivated and inspired with unlimited access to exclusive guided fitness and meditation programs. Sign up for free updates from The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, all delivered daily to the app. Audible members can also easily exchange any title they don't love at any time. And members keep their library of listens forever, even if they cancel. So start a 30-day trial and choose one audiobook plus two Audible originals absolutely free. That's right. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. You can choose one audiobook and two audio Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash invention. That's I-N-V-E-N-T-I-O-N or text invention to 500-500. You know, Robert, I just downloaded Dr. Sleep to listen to on Audible. I'm very excited to get into that. Oh, uh, nice choice. Uh, for some new Stephen King. Yeah, last year, I think around this time, I listened to The Stand, the long version on Audible. And it was uh, it, it was like something like 50 hours, but it was great. Now, I always really enjoy uh, revisiting uh, the works of Carl Sagan. And so this is, is super exciting that there's just so much Carl Sagan content on Audible. Uh, so I highly recommend choosing any of those books. So start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash invention or text invention to 500. 500. That's 500-500. And we're back. So it's time to talk about the inventor of the microwave. That's right. We're talking about Percy Spencer, who lived 1894 through 1970. Uh, this is one of those, uh, you know, we, we often find these interesting stories, human stories of the inventors that are wrapped up in these inventions. And mm-hmm. this is certainly uh, one of the more interesting tales, uh, interesting origin stories of an inventor. Uh, so basically a rags to riches tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had a really rough early life. Uh, Percy lost his father 18 months after his birth, was raised by his uncle and aunt, and then his uncle died when he was seven, and he had to quit grammar school to earn money to help support himself and his aunt. Mm -hmm. He worked at a spool mill from age uh, 12 through 16, but uh, he showed an early knack for electrical work. So he joined the Navy at age 18 and got into wireless communication, namely radio. Uh, He taught himself numerous mathematical and scientific subjects, uh, just, you know, consuming the books on his own. So he was largely Mm -hmm. self-taught. And then he ends up joining the Raytheon Company in 1925. Now, if you're familiar with the Raytheon Company, you're probably thinking, oh, this is is the enormous – uh, like defense contractor and, you know, an, an industrial company, uh, you know, major player. Mm-hmm. But at the time uh, when when, uh, when Spencer joined Raytheon, uh, he became its fifth employee. Wow. So he really get, got in on the ground floor here. Uh, but this would have been a time when if you were working in, uh, in like wireless communication, this was cutting edge stuff and it would have mm-hmm. been highly relevant, not just wireless communication, but like electromagnetic imaging and mm-hmm. stuff would have been extremely valuable to, say, international war efforts and national defense. That's right. And uh, and that was a lot of the, the work that was going on with Raytheon at the time. Um, 
he was extremely successful within the company. He helped develop uh, the first gaseous rectifier tube, which was uh, essential for household radio technology. And over the course of his career, he came to hold more than 130 patents, including patents for the application of microwave energy to medical uh, uh, diathermy, which is the production of heat in a part of the body to stimulate uh, circulation, relieve pain, destroy unhealthy tissue, or uh, to clot bleeding vessels. Mm -hmm. And uh, during this time, Raytheon grew enormously as well, uh, you know, becoming the, the, the major U.S. defense contractor that we know today. Um, but uh, you, can, you, can, you can look up a lot of, of his patents, uh, a lot of Spencer's uh, patents. And uh, they were, uh, you know, for a variety of highly technical things such as electrical space discharge device or high-efficiency magnetron, the magnetron uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we mentioned already, uh, as well as the, the likes of, for instance, he obtained a 1942 patent for an improved automobile cigarette lighter. <laughs> Uh, one that indicates by touch when the element will be hot enough to light something. Uh, here's a quote from it. An object of this invention, therefore, is to produce a cigarette lighter which will give the operator a tactile indication at the time when the igniting element of the lighter reaches its proper temperature. And this could have saved me some pain in the past. Oh, yeah? Uh, while I was telling you earlier today about a time when uh, – years ago, I was like 20 years old or something, and I was just sitting in my car waiting somewhere one time, and I'd never really used the cigarette lighter in my car. I was like, I wonder if it works. Does it get hot? Because uh, my car was old. So I pressed it in, and then I pulled it out, and I was like, is it hot? It doesn't look hot. And I pressed my thumb to it to find out, and that, <laughs> that was a bad day. Well, see, if that if this invention had really taken off, uh, he could have saved you some time. Uh, <laughs> But Spencer is best known for his invention uh, for Raytheon of the microwave oven. Um, and most of these patents that you can look at, you can see that they are, they're, you know, they're filed through, filed by Raytheon mm-hmm. uh, with his name on it. Now, you might be asking, wait a minute, why would Raytheon be concerned with coming up with a, a new method for cooking food, right? That doesn't really seem to fit within their, their niche, right? But mm-hmm. in fact, they were not looking for a new way to create food. Right. They were, they were looking uh, into the, the, the communication aspects of, uh, of, of these waves mm-hmm. uh, and of the, the microwaves. And the story goes that Spencer was working in the lab on a radar set and he noticed that the candy bar in his pocket had melted. And, uh, you know, others had observed this sort of thing in the past already. He was not the first uh, individual to notice uh, that microwaves could, say, melt food or heat up food or heat up, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, organic uh, material. But he was the first to investigate the matter. And he ended up experimenting with different foods, including popcorn, mm-hmm. uh, including eggs. Yeah, I read uh, that there was a story where he made an egg explode on somebody's face yeah. with microwaves. <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, all by exposing them to the magnetron. And then he built the first microwave oven of sorts by, by enclosing all of this within a metal box and testing various foods inside of it. I don't know why, but I just don't have a strong gut feeling that Spencer was a good cook. <laughs> well, um, maybe, maybe not. You know, the, the whole story of the microwave, as we'll continue to explore, is this kind of struggle with what it should be used for. Yeah. Uh, but but we'll, get, we'll get back to that later on. So Raytheon filed a patent for the microwave cooking process on October 8th, 1945, and the radar range hit the market in 1946. I love that name, the radar range. What if we still called it that? People would love it more. It, uh, yeah, they might. They might, you know. Uh, it's, but this thing was a monster. This thing looked like a robot 
uh, out of out of a, a science fiction <laughs> film from the period. Uh-huh. This was a six foot, seven hundred and fifty pound beast of an appliance. Uh, but this was just the beginning. This was just a true, you know, glimpse at the kitchen of the future. But can you imagine a person at the time when this very first uh, is a consumer option thinking, okay, I've got room in my kitchen for a regular oven or a microwave oven. Which one do I want? Yeah. (laughs) And I I think that's another issue here too is this idea that the microwave oven is going to somehow replace – Conventional ovens that you're not going to need a gas oven or a uh, or you know a heating element uh, uh, oven, uh, but we'll we'll get into all that in a bit. Uh, obviously, this monster did not catch catch on right away. Uh, if you weren't scared away by the idea of cooking food with radiation in 1946, then certainly the five thousand dollar price tag probably did the trick. Uh, this would have been equal to to about fifty thousand of today's dollars, according to APS News. But they continued, of course, to make improvements. This was just the first uh, model. Mm -hmm. The first countertop home model went on sale in the 1950s for $495. And uh, by 1997, roughly 90% of U.S. households owned a microwave oven. And we'll talk more about the legacy of the, the, the microwave oven in our, our second episode on the invention. Well, it's a funny contrast, actually, to this behemoth you've got in the early years because I think it's exactly the uh, size and portability of a microwave that makes it useful in a lot of places where you wouldn't even have a regular stove these days. I think mm-hmm. in dorm rooms. Dorm rooms are a big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. N- not only the the size and the mobility of the microwave oven, but the degree to which you can trust its safety. Yes. Uh, with college students. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know I, I, when I was in a dorm, you know, there were a lot of regulations about you can't have candles, can't have incense or all these things you cannot have mm-hmm. uh, because they're potentially dangerous to you or the entire building. But the microwave oven is safe. Now, Spencer continued to be involved in the evolution of the design and, uh, and, and its usages as well. Uh, consider uh, his 1948 patent application, which was granted in 1951 for a microwave oven cooking method. Uh, and this is the wonderful intro. Quote, this invention relates to food cooking and more particularly to the cooking of lobsters and thick bodies of meat by the use of electromagnetic wave energy. <laughs> so you've got to get lobsters in there right at the top. Is he trying to sell it as like a luxe fancy item that way or? I mean, basically it is a patent about an improved method for cooking lobsters in a microwave <laughs> oven. Uh, it includes an illustration of the oven with a whole lobster in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it is, it is all about lobsters. Uh, for instance, here's, here's some more quotes from it. Quote, a further object is to devise a novel method for broiling lobsters. A still further object is to devise a method for preventing curling of the tail sections of lobsters during broiling thereof, thereby to maintain such lobsters substantially constant in thickness during such broiling. And, uh, quote, an additional object is to devise a method which will prevent curling of the tail sections of lobsters during broiling and will at the same time cause more effective coupling of the heat energy into the interior of the tail sections of such lobsters. Oh, so much thought about the tail sections. Yeah, and I I want to be clear about this. Spencer was talking about microwaving live lobsters. Uh, Quote, it has been found that an electronic oven such as that described may be utilized for the broiling of live lobsters and that when it is done, lobsters may be broiled in an extremely short time interval uh, on the order of two minutes as compared with the approximately 18 minutes required by conventional broiling techniques. 
you know, so he's just making you know the argument. You want to broil some lobsters for dinner? Do you want to do it in eighteen minutes, or do you want to want to do it in two minutes? But the main problem that he's dealing with in this patent uh, relates to to a means of preventing the lobster's tail from curling up underneath its body during the microwaving uh, process, as this artificially shields part of the lobster's body during the cooking process. You know, one of the things I, I know as a cook is exactly the kind of seizing up that causes like tight curling of mm-hmm. uh, of like a shrimp or a lobster tail or something like that. It's the same thing when you see like a piece of chicken seizing up or something. It's usually a pretty good sign that some, some dryness is taking place. Ah, and yeah, I guess that's what he was trying to prevent here. And I don't know why this horrifies me so much, though. The the, uh, the idea of cooking a live lobster in a microwave. Maybe it's the the, the gremlins uh, tie-in. You know, oh, the idea yeah. of being like a live gremlin in there. Uh-huh. But but it's ridiculous because certainly the cooking of lobsters inherently involves the cooking of live lobsters, uh, and perhaps. You know, perhaps perhaps part of this is like this weird sort of background bias against the microwave, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, or or that's a you know, sort of background myth making that we we engage uh, in when we think about the microwave. But we'll, we'll come back to that later. But what this says to me is that once he's invented this, uh, Percy Spencer is sort of in the microwave zone. Yeah, uh, he's in the radar range zone, and he's just working the zone for a while, right? Like he's figuring out here's every different kind of microwave thing I can do. Yeah, uh, for instance, he obtained a, a, a patent in 1948 for a microwave coffee brewing pot. And note, this is not a coffee pot that goes into a microwave oven. This is a coffee pot that contains uh, a magnetron that contains a microwave component to heat the water. It's so funny because part of what we're doing in these episodes is trying to uh, dispel unfounded microwave fears, and yet my reaction to this at a gut level is like, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on one level, it's also cert- certainly something we're not used to. You know, like, we're used to, we have the microwave there, uh, and if we heat the water for coffee in the microwave, that's one thing. Sure. But, uh, the uh, yeah, the idea of having the magnetron in the coffee pot itself mm-hmm. seems strange. In fact, I could totally do that. I mean, at, at home, I I usually do pour over coffee. Mm. Uh, and yeah, why not heat the water up in the microwave? I usually do on the stovetop, but maybe the microwave's more efficient. I should look into that. All right. On that note, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we will begin getting into the legacy of the microwave. All right, we're back. So it's time to talk a bit about the uh, the legacy of the microwave oven. We know that uh, that uh, Percy Spencer has been moving around in the microwave zone for a while. He's been working the radar range to broil lobsters, to make coffee. Uh, but so how does the microwave oven take off? How is it first received and, and what happens with the Raytheon company? Well, obviously, we already touched on the fact that it initially comes out and the technology is large and expensive. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's about – you know, engineering it and getting it smaller, getting it more affordable, uh, you know, scaling up production, getting it out there. Uh, but but also you have to – there's a certain amount of marketing that has to take place as well. Uh, in, uh, but then also you have to come back to the fact that Raytheon, of course, was originally not uh, an appliance uh, company. Right. So what they did is they acquired a man of refrigeration. And uh, then in 1967, the uh, Raytheon acquired uh, a man of refrigeration company, developed the first microwave that sold for under $500. Uh, uh, which I, I believe we we alluded to that one earlier. So this was suddenly you had a microwave that you could you – know, normal people could conceivably purchase and put in their home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, this is I, I couldn't help but notice 67, too. This is such an interesting year for change in American culture. Right. You know, it's the summer of love. Um, the, um, the Moog synthesizer uh, was, uh, you know, introduced its first production model. Uh, and then here's the microwave as well coming along. You might say that uh, a Moog synthesizer is to a cello what the microwave is to the conventional oven. Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent. Um, we and, say that as lovers of synthesizers. Here. Yeah, yeah. But then also like the synthesizer, it's also – a, a, kind of a, a challenge of figuring out what to do with the synthesizer. Like, yes. what is the best use of this new technology? Does it completely replace the piano? No, it does not. It creates something new uh, that you must, you know, figure out how to properly utilize. Exactly right. And uh, as we alluded to earlier, I think that's both of our attitudes toward the microwave. It's not that it's a replacement for the oven. It's also not inferior. It's just a different kind of tool useful for different jobs. So 1970s hit and of course also 1970 is the year that uh, that Percy Spencer dies. Hmm. Uh, so he doesn't really live long enough to see the real ascension of the microwave oven. Uh, but but uh, but th- yeah, this is the decade of the microwave's ascension. The microwave went from being in just ten percent of American households in 1970 to rivaling conventional oven sales in 1980, and they were apparently outselling gas ranges by 1975. Mm-hmm. Uh, these stats, by the way, are via Jesse Capolt, uh, Kelsey Dean, Madison White, and Helen uh, Salida. This is at historyoftech.mcclurkin.org/microwave. Uh, this is a great microwave information site there with lots of uh, lots of well-cited, well-sourced material. Mm-hmm. But they point out that a lot of this uh, it, this expansion, the, a lot of this acceptance of the microwave was due to heavy promotion through home and electronics magazines with a huge emphasis on science education to combat any concerns over this idea that a microwave was some sort of a, you know, a dangerous hotbed of radiation that would hurt us. Yeah, and you can still see those concerns coming through even in the terminology we use, like Mm -hmm. the idea of nuking food in the microwave. Yeah, which, you know, we're not nuking anything, but (laughs) but we still use that that terminology. Uh So more evidence that we see of uh, microwave ascendancy in the 1970s uh, is the the number of microwave cookbooks that we see, which featured a lot of less than amazing sounding recipes. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, uh, there's. If you want to see some examples of this, look up Paste Magazine's thirty horrifying recipes from a '70s microwave cookbook. Uh, they're, they're pretty. Uh, they're pretty appalling. Mm-hmm. Most of these entries involve big cuts of meat or some manner of recipe that seems adapted from a traditional cookbook, like a Betty Crocker or something. Uh-huh. Talking gourmet meals made from scratch, cooked in your microwave <laughs> oven, uh-huh. uh, and the results were reportedly less than awesome. Now, one thing you might be wondering is like, wait a minute, why is it that food cooked in a microwave oven is in some cases not as good as food cooked in a conventional oven? And I would argue I think one of the main reasons is going to be how the exterior of the food is affected by Mm. microwave cooking. So first of all, I think especially if you're cooking like a big cut of meat, something that would normally happen in the oven if you cook it at the right temperature and all that is you get nice browning on the outside through the Maillard reaction, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a very important reaction in food chemistry. It creates a lot of the 
sort of meaty, roasty flavors that we like in all kinds of foods, not just meats. I mean, it's they're in toast. Yeah, we, we mentioned it on our episode about toast and bread. Yeah, and so the Maillard reaction is generally what makes the exterior of most cooked browned foods appealing. It makes it look good. It makes it smell good. It makes it taste good. And you just don't really get that in the microwave because of the way it cooks. Another thing, though, is that I would guess in some cases at least the microwave has a tendency to dry out, especially the outer layers of food by just steaming off all of the water molecules from it. So you get outer layers that might be extremely dry and tough but not browned. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just by and large, this whole line of thinking, this sort of you know gourmet meals from scratch in your microwave, um, this is, is basically falls into this idea of, of more like replacement. The year this is the only oven you need. You don't need your conventional oven anymore because you have the microwave oven. Uh, but of course, we we have to compare this to how we actually tend to use the microwave today. Now that the technology has you know somewhat settled and found its place in our culture, uh, we use them to heat up microwave compatible prepackaged meals, for instance. Mm-hmm. We use them to reheat leftovers, and we use them to heat portions of recipes. You know, melt your butter, uh, heat some water. Defrosting is another uh, major usage, uh, and, and so in many cases we're using it along with our other heating methods to cook a meal as well. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was showing uh, my son in our own kitchen that we have. Uh, you know, we have three different means of, of, of heating food. We have the microwave using uh, uh, you know, the, the magnetron. We have a gas-powered stove, and then we also have the toaster oven uh, with its uh, you know, electric heating element. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how we'll sometimes use all three of these in the preparation of a single meal. But the uh, the prepackaged microwave meals, I think, are a big one as well. And uh, I was reading a little bit about this. According to BBC's The Rise of the Ready Meal by uh, Denise Winterman, uh, 2013 uh, article, companies like Swanson, uh, before the microwave took hold, had already influenced our tastes with ready-made meals. The TV dinner was already here. Yeah, you get those. You, you of course, would make those in a conventional oven. Mm-hmm. I think I recall, if I'm not wrong, that those originally came about mainly because like turkey uh, – agricultural concerns were trying to figure out ways to sell turkey outside of Thanksgiving. Right. And they were like, we can make turkey TV dinners to sell people to heat up in their ovens without cooking. Yeah. And and also, I guess we should point out you had the stovetop uh, um, popcorn as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so basically, we're already down with the idea of fast prepackaged meals. Right. No preparation. Just pop it in, heat mm-hmm. it up. And so the microwave just makes it that much easier. Exactly. It's like a logical extension of the TV dinner concept. And I, in fact, I think it's exactly the way in which it's an extension of that, that sometimes I think the microwave is used as a kind of metaphor or shorthand for, I don't know, for something about consumerism. Do you, mm. do you detect this? Yeah, yeah. It is It is often the place where we simply you know, heat up a prepackaged meal. Mm-hmm. It is the, you know, the, the convenience aspect of it. And perhaps, I don't know, I feel like maybe when – I was a kid. Maybe there were fewer healthy options for microwave meals. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, you can get a lot of really, you know, quite good food uh, that you can heat up in the microwave. Um, or you can do – I mean you can use a microwave to steam broccoli. You can use oh, a yeah. microwave to all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Outside of just prepackaged meals, right. you, know, you, can, you can certainly do a lot with it mm-hmm. uh, that is not cooking a whole turkey. Uh, so, you know, not to, not to imply that, that it's just a – there's a – you know, it's either use it to try and cook everything or use it to cook uh, prepackaged meals. There's a, it's, it's a very useful tool in the modern kitchen. It is a part of the modern kitchen. 
Look at us here, rehabilitating the image of the microwave. <laughs> well, I mean, on one hand, you know, it still has to deal with uh, with image issues. There's st- you'll still, as we'll discuss in the next episode, encounter uh, people spreading, uh, you know, untruths about the microwave, slandering the microwave. And at the same time, like the microwave is everywhere. The microwave is one. Yeah. Uh, the microwave is nearly ubiquitous. I guess it doesn't really need our help. Right. Um, I mean, the microwave is, is waiting for you in your local gas station, <laughs> uh, ready for you to, to heat up uh, some sort of prepackaged nonsense that you just purchased. Well, uh, let's come back next time and heat up that nonsense. In the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Invention, head on over to inventionpod.com. You'll also find the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to support this show and uh, see it continue uh, into the future, uh, then you'll want to make sure you have subscribed and uh, give us a nice uh, rating as well. That really helps us out. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to give us uh, feedback on this episode or any other to say hi or suggest a topic for the future, you can email us at contact at inventionpod.com. Invention is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 